Welcome to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. This podcast is being brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Limitless was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community in order to show the world that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marcelet. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marcelet, and I'm excited that you've joined us today. We have a really interesting topic. I want to introduce my co-host today, Nika. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thank you for coming up with this great topic. Why don't you uh, remind our listeners a little bit about your vision and then tell us what, what are we talking about today? Yeah, so with my vision, I was born with Peter's anomaly, which means the front part of my eyes aren't formed properly. So I have most of my vision in my left eye and I can see shapes and colors, but I can't see small details. And as for our topic, I've mentioned before, I think on a couple other episodes that I did dance um, and that I went kind of through a journey of trying to find a dance studio. And this week I have my ballet teacher, Sue, and my volunteer slash friend, Haley, on the podcast. Welcome, Sue and Haley. Nice to be here. Yeah. Happy to be here as well. Um, I'd love to know a little bit about your history, both of you, with dance. So maybe, Sue, can you tell us a little bit about how you became a ballet teacher? Sure. Um, well, I started dancing at a very young age, um, about five or six years old. I started as a tap dancer and then I started taking other classes at my studio. And this was in Edmonton, uh, which is a big dance city because it's very cold there in the winter. <laughs> um, so all the boys play hockey and all the girls dance. But uh, I danced through the studio um, for two or three different studios um, during my upbringing, ended up at Edmonton School of Ballet, because if you want to become a dancer, you have to train in ballet. Um, that is not a misconception, that is true. So I ended up um, pursuing ballet, um, but I'm quite tall, I'm five foot 10. So um, because of that, I was sort of told I could not become a ballerina, um, but that I was a good dancer and I could, I could become a contemporary dancer. So all of those myths have been blown away now, but at the time uh, that was sort of the, the thought process. So um, I went, when I finished high school, I went to Grant McEwen College in Edmonton and I did a three-year dance program which is about half ballet and half contemporary dance. And when I graduated from there, I moved to Toronto actually with my ballet teacher who hired me. He was working with the National Ballet of Canada. And I was very fortunate to travel to Toronto and uh, work with the National Ballet. Um, he was the choreographer setting, his name is David Adams. He was setting um, some of the old ballets on the company and I was able to be his assistant um, 
that that lasted about two years. And then I moved down to the to the United States to Philadelphia, where I had been hired to do a couple of dance um, professional dance gigs as a contemporary dancer. Um, so did that for about a year, moved back to Toronto and just, you know, was working as a waitress to do any kind of dancing I could do. Um, and eventually moved back to Vancouver because, you know, too far from my home in Toronto and um, started teaching and long story short, started learning a Russian method of ballet, which I had not uh, learned. I grew up as an RAD, which is Royal Academy of Dance. Um, I grew up with RAD. I did my solo seal, which is the top um, level. And then uh, started learning Russian technique, and it's a totally different technique. Um, literally, you have to sort of relearn ballet when you learn Russian method. Um, and eventually went to New York City and did two levels of training with the Bolshoi to learn to teach the Russian method. And um, yeah, I had opened a school in Vancouver called One Dance, and that's where I met Nika. And just recently, due to COVID, One Dance closed after 19 years, but I'm still teaching at another school in West Vancouver. And I also um, do a lot of contemporary choreography and actually getting into dance film. So that's where I am today. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you know your stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, what about you, Haley? What's your dance story? Uh, so like Sue, I did start at a very young age. I think I was also probably three to five years old. I'm not sure. I was primarily a ballet dancer um, until the age of nine when I also started learning a little bit of contemporary dance. Uh, at, the, at the age of nine, I started competitive um, ballet um, and then later competitive contemporary dance. And I was a competitive ballet dancer until the age of uh, just past 15. Um, when I had to stop competing due to a back injury. Um, that was like June, 2017, which is when uh, at my high school, I heard on the announcements, um, Nika was looking for a volunteer. And so from competitive ballet dancer, I went to volunteering with Nika for two years and eventually became um, a teaching assistant and ballet teacher. Um, at I Can Dance, uh, which is a recreation program based in both North and West Vancouver. Um, I have since left I Can Dance due to COVID, but um, that's kind of where my dance journey has led to me so far. Okay, Nika, let's hear yours. <laughs> okay, so long story semi-short. Um, <laughs> I wanted to dance from a very young age just because all of my classmates, you know, starting from kindergarten and preschool were doing ballet and I was kind of jealous. I was like, you know, why is everyone else my age doing ballet? Why can't I do ballet? And back then I was kind of going through a lot of phases. Like one week I wanted to do martial arts, one week I wanted to do gymnastics. So it's kind of like no one really took me seriously because I was just so all over the place. And when I got older, I still kind of wanted to do dance. Everything else kind of faded and dance was something I always wanted to do. But then 
doctors and health professionals that we would consult would say, oh, you can't start ballet at the age of 10 or 11. It's too late. It's not safe. You can only start it if you're around three or four. So I kind of gave up on that for a bit. And I don't think my passion for dance ever really disappeared, but I think I kind of had to force it down because I felt like I could never do it. And fast forward to when I was around 14 and I started struggling a lot with my mental health. Um, a lot of stuff happened. I won't get too into it, but um, I was declining pretty fast just in my mood and with my depression and anxiety. And in the midst of all of that, getting my diagnosis, getting all these assessments, Blind Beginnings did a flash mob and we rehearsed it. It was youth led and we performed it in the fall. And that was my first time ever dancing in public. And that kind of reignited my passion because we literally did a whole entire dance routine in Metrotown in front of so many people not to mention it's on YouTube for anyone to find. So that was amazing. And that kind of made me decide I want to dance. And I think if I can do this, then I don't see any reason why I can't find a dance studio. So I talked to my mom about it and she agreed to help me. I also talked to a friend of mine in school and she actually started dancing at the age of 13 and she said, it's not true that there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to do recreational ballet at the age of 15. So I kind of started looking around and I looked to places, you know, closest to home because I knew I wasn't going to be competitive. So I wanted, you know, just somewhere close by I could easily access. And I got rejected by three places, which was really difficult because when you're already struggling with your mental health, it's just not constructive to then have more piled onto that. And I was really close to giving up. And I remember one day my mom came in my room and said, you know, like I emailed an owner of a dance studio and told her about you and she's willing to meet you. And if I'm being completely honest, I was really scared to go just because I was just so used to being rejected and I didn't know how much more I could take. But I did go and it was amazing. Like, Sue, you were so open. So, Sue, when you found out that there was somebody with a visual impairment that wanted to take dance, what was your initial reaction? Um, well, I was actually uh, not surprised because I really think everyone is a dancer. Um, everyone has a heartbeat and has a rhythm inside them. And when you watch children, they dance before they walk. Um, they often dance before they do, they stand and they dance, they hear music and they dance. So I thought it was kind of interesting that this blind girl was interested in dancing. And I have worked with a lot of um, people before on the autism spectrum or on various with various other disabilities um just due to i mean i've just worked with so many different people in my life and over my career um so i was actually interested and intrigued and um you know wanted to meet nika and see if it was possible so obviously you started dancing nika um 
what, well, maybe I'll ask you, Sue, what did you have to do differently in order to teach her? Well, I thought it would be, you know, that having, she would have to have an assistant um, because, you know, I would have to put her in a class with other students and it wouldn't be a private lesson. If it was private lesson, I could focus, you know, just on Nika. I think we may have, Nika, did we do a couple of privates? I, I th think um, we Yeah, did. so I was at One Dance for three years and the first year was uh, a ballet private. Yeah, so we did private. And then when we talked about going into a class, um, you know, having Haley was such a, a godsend because Haley's trained. And so she understands the language of ballet and she understands the positions of ballet. And she was able to work literally right with Nika. She was literally standing in front or behind or beside her all the time. And as we did the class, having Haley there to guide her, you know, was invaluable because, you know, when you're in a class situation, say you have four or five or six other students in the room, you know, having Haley there was just great. So Nika was able to just kind of come in and, and just, she just went for it. It was great. So Haley, was it uh, natural for you to kind of explain different poses and positions and, or was it awkward at first? Like, what was it like? Yes, it was awkward at first. I uh, had never seen anyone um, help a blind dancer or a blind person dance before. I wasn't sure what to expect initially. Uh, so mostly what I did, lots and lots of cues would be like pull up, turn out, that kind of stuff. Um, I would use my um, arms to guide hers um, and her legs and um, poke and prod and adjust her chin, adjust everything. Um, it was easier at the bar than in center, um, but after a while we could do it in center as well. More difficult initially, but we made it. Were you able to keep up with the class? Oh my gosh, I was a bit like, like a moment, like I just, I spoke a mile a minute, I swear. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna go, put hands there. <laughs> yeah, because it's such a, I mean, so I, I have limited experience with dance. I did do a little bit of ballet and tap and jazz and modern dance when I was a kid, like probably, you know, one, one, I don't know, term of each maybe. Um, and, but I understand it's just so fluid and flowing. Like how can you possibly keep up with explaining every single movement? But I guess Nika, if you had a year of private, you had a pretty good understanding of some of what the instructor would be asking for? Um, I knew some of the basics in my private just because it took me longer to learn things. I kind of learned very, very basic things, but it did help. Mm -hmm. So what was it like being poked and prodded <laughs> during the class? <laughs> um, you get used to it after a while, you know. And I think having the privates, you know, at first it, it was just you know, explaining the positions to Nika. So at least when we would say, you know, first position or second position, she would know where those positions were. And maybe it wasn't 100% correct, but it was, you know, a position that Nika could work in. And I think having some privates beforehand, you know, was helpful, even though, 
you know, there were times when Nika couldn't do what we were asking and maybe, but she did what she could do. And, um, you know, it, it was a beginner class she was in. So it was very slow, um, you know, sort of a slow pace anyway. So she did a great job of keeping up. In a recreational beginner class, are you, is there choreography? Is there like certain steps everyone's going to do together? How, like what, it, what would it be like? In a beginner class, you know, normally there would not be choreography um, because often choreography is a separate class. Mm. So this mm. was a technique only class. So there was no choreography. Um, we would do at least half the class at the bar, which is great for Nika because she could hold on to the bar. And it also gives her a really clear reference point of where her body should be. Um, the center work was definitely more challenging, um, even for me to explain and also for Nika to understand because, you know, I know for her without, without being able to see it very clearly, it must've been so difficult, but, uh, Haley was super patient with her and, you know, we just, we just kept going and Nika just did the best she could and Haley just helped her and somehow we got through it. You actually, like, I remember, like, when we did center work, you would, like, stabilize me a lot of the time, just because, like, the position, you know, when we were on demi point, which is, like, walking on your toes, it was really hard to balance. Mm -hmm. I had a friend teach me how to dance, like, uh, when I was, like, 20. And uh, she showed me by having me put my hands on her hips and then she moved her hips to show me what to do with my hips. This is just like the kind of dancing you would do at a club or something. Uh, but did you feel what Haley was doing or what any of the other dancers were doing, Nika, to kind of get a sense of what it was supposed to feel like or look like? Um, actually, yes, I did sometimes just because I find it easier to, like I learn by touch. I'm a physical learner so that did help you know it was even like how do I like put my feet like what are they supposed to look like I I kind of got a reference point because mm -hmm. it, it's I don't know that it, like there's so much you can describe it but how you interpret that description can vary I feel like I don't know dance is so like how do you explain graceful or fluid or <laughs> you know just to somebody who can't see what that looks like that would be challenging so nika you've done other types of dance besides ballet correct uh yes so i also did contemporary and that class was a performing class so there actually was a routine that we um choreographed and learned and were you dancing in a group so you had to be choreographed with like wasn't just you um it was a group class yeah yeah. Okay. So how did you guys do that? Um, so we would usually start with a warm-up and that's kind of where um, you know, Haley like would do the same thing in ballet, kind of help like manipulate me into the position that I had to be in. And then we would work on specific dance technique moves. So sometimes it would be like practicing like rules, sometimes it would be practicing like floor work, sometimes it would be different things. So that's also where um again I was like you know, I could be like moved or sometimes I would visually, because I have some vision, watch Haley do it from really, really close up. And that would help me. 
And then when, when you learned the steps, were you able to do the dance without Haley? So for our routines, it was kind of partner work was incorporated into it. So there were some parts where I was able to do it myself and I was able to get myself in the position where I needed to be. And then there were other times when actually like Haley helping me get to the position I needed to be in the routine would be incorporated into the dance routine. Hmm. Yeah, in my in my view as a non-dancer that's blind, <laughs> the choreography and the kind of like this is the memorized steps we're going to do every single time to this music is so much easier. But I don't know what do you find Nika? Um I would agree we did some improv in contemporary just for kind of practicing creativity and I was super intimidated by improv even in drama with acting I was always intimidated with um improv and I do like dancing to music and having set steps and I like a routine and I like kind of this is what you do this is where you do it this is when you do it mm-hmm. because if you're in the middle of I don't know like well, I guess this could happen. You're in the middle of a performance and you're all supposed to be doing the same thing. Everyone else can kind of look at each other to remember what they've got to do. But when you're blind, you've got to kind of hold it all in your head, right? Like, did you ever forget the steps? Um, I did a couple times in rehearsal and, you know, it was kind of confusing and I couldn't see what the other person was doing, but I was able to figure it out eventually. Mm-hmm. I know when I was little in a a dance performance, I I was very close to dancing off the front of the stage. My mom tells a story like she just saw that I was approaching the edge and she started running <laughs> towards the front of the stage to catch me. But thankfully, I, I turned away, I guess, just at the last minute. I didn't fall. But did you have that experience? Were you worried about, you know, like knowing where you were on the stage? Um, not so much falling off stage, but I think I did um, by accidentally bump into someone. You guys mentioned, uh, sounds like COVID has definitely impacted your careers and business. And how how are you feeling about that? that? I mean, you had to close your business after 19 years. That must have been tough. Yeah, it was a, it was a very... Uh, quick and shocking decision. (laughs) Mm. Uh, I had been in that location for 19 years, almost 20, um, 19 and a half years. And um, COVID came and we were in a lockdown. We were not allowed to have any classes whatsoever. And um, my landlord was not um, willing to work very much with me. In fact, was, you know, trying to negotiate a new lease at the time. And cause at, at just at that time, my lease was expiring. And, um, you know, at the time I just didn't want to sign a five-year lease. Um, I wanted to potentially, you know, close for a few months and reopen in the fall and tried to sort of negotiate that. But uh, that negotiation kind of fell through. And the next thing I know, you know, I, made a decision to leave because I just couldn't imagine paying the overhead on a studio with no income. So we canceled all the fees. And, you know, when you don't have income and you have expenses, 
it, you know, you can, you have a certain amount of money saved, but you can't, you know, it, it was hard to know how long COVID was going to last, how long the lockdown would last. Mm -hmm. So um, I made a decision to um, vacate the premises. I had planned to sell the business to one of my instructors anyway. So I thought, well, maybe he and I could reopen uh, and as it's turned out, he has now opened a separate location and I'm working for him now. Um, and he still bought my students. So it's worked out okay. And I'm actually really happy with not owning the studio um, because now I can do other things and I am doing lots of other things. So for me, it's been actually a blessing in disguise. That's great. I'm glad that worked out for you. I, I can imagine how, what a hard decision that would have been. And, you know, really it came out of nowhere with no warning, right? Yeah. I was actually in Europe when COVID happened. I was, it was spring break last year and I was, I had left a little bit early. I was in London, England, uh, meeting my two daughters and we actually had a flight to Spain <laughs> and, um, we didn't get on that plane because we just didn't know what was going on. And it turned out that flight was turned around midair. So it was wow. good that we weren't on that flight, wow. um, but we just ended up coming back to Canada and scrambling to find flights. And it was really a tough time for everyone because, you know, no one knew what was going on and it was very scary actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about you, Haley? How did COVID Im impact your career? Uh, well, coming into spring break, um, I was planning on also going away to Europe. So I took off my last teaching class that I have had to date <laughs> in order to pack and prepare. But then that didn't even end up happening anyway. So sorry, Marnie. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had a staff meeting during spring break wherein we were like, oh, I don't know when this COVID is going to close, but here are our extended plans for June. Um, I uh, was, Zoom was newish at that time and mine crashed. So I missed half the last staff meeting and had to call my boss and be like, okay, what did I miss? Mm. And she was like, well, I just got an email from uh, West Van Rec Center and there will be no programs to be held at West Van Rec, which was I think over half of our income. Uh, so then we were shut down. Um, after that point, I was a little bit buried in school. Um, the school online was challenging for me, uh, mm -hmm. so I did not teach any classes. But uh, from what I understand, there were online classes. And I think there still are online classes to this day um, in a variety of subjects. We've brought back um, different styles and um, classes for teenagers as well. There's, I think, some kind of pop fusion and K-pop class. I think we did Chinese dance for a bit. So uh, it's been, I can't speak for Marnie or I can dance, but from what I can understand, it has also been uh, a time to explore other areas and have growth. Mm -hmm. Sue, have you been teaching virtually? Uh, yes and no. I've been teaching, um, well, you know, as the health regulations change, we change. Um, so we started off in September virtually, uh, all on Zoom, which is really challenging to teach dance on Zoom because most of the kids are in their kitchen. <laughs> 
or in their living room and they don't have any space. And so just having to modify everything all the time with every single day with depending who's on zoom and their space and you know their mental health sometimes you know the kids would come on and they'd be super happy and other times that you know some of the teenagers would come on and they'd be really sad and so you know as a dance teacher you are also um you know often uh, life coach. <laughs> mm. And so sometimes my lesson would just be more about, um, you know, supporting various uh, dancers and what they were going through and, you know, moving through it and trying to find a way to um, move through some of the stuff they might be going through. Um, but in the end, I always got a class in and uh, we eventually were able to bring kids back in with masks and physical distancing and hand sanitizing and COVID questionnaire and all the stuff that we still do. Mm -hmm. So when, now when students come, we have a limited number of students in the facility because they have to stay uh, six feet apart. Plus there has to be room for the teacher to walk among them. Mm -hmm. um, you also teach differently. We're not allowed to have sort of cardio anymore. It has to be like low intensity so we can't do like in a dance class there would normally be like a warm-up and then there would be you know some center stuff but in the end you build up to jumps and you build up to the intensity of the movement but now we can't really do that um, we try to keep it really low intensity um, i find it very hard teaching with a mask um, mm. i get out of breath because as a teacher you know, you do a lot of talking and yes. you're also moving while you're talking. And so, and you know, there's music, so there's a lot to do, but you know, we've made it work and you know, it's made us all change. Um, when I'd never used Zoom before, I had to learn how to do that. I'm in my fifties, so, you know, I'm not super technically savvy, but now I'm all about Zoom. I've got it down and I teach on Zoom. Um, but yeah, we've had kids come in and, you know, you just have to modify and as it's turned out, it's been great. Um, and then I have an adult class and we have, again, have about half on Zoom and half come into the studio. Some of them never come in because they're not comfortable with it. Um, some come in more regularly, but, you know, we've all sort of done the best we can and really tried to keep dancing because for most of us dancing is you know what we've found in our life to be our passion mm -hmm. so we just want to figure out a way to keep doing it and so that's what we're doing that's great uh nika are you still dancing no so i um quit dance because i was transitioning from high school to post-secondary and at the time I was going into music and there would be some days where I would be at school for 15 hours and um, I just thought it was you know not a good idea to add something else when I was already going through a huge adjustment period and then when COVID came I kind of fell into another kind of um, mental health depression slump and I didn't really have any motivation to take any online classes. But now that my semester at university is almost 
over and I'm taking four courses, so I'm pretty burnt out. So I would like to start getting into more extracurriculars. Mm-hmm. Did you find that dance helped your mental health? I would say it did. I don't know. Like it was something, it was physical activity. And that's something my doctors always told me to do physical activity, but then it was also creative at the same time. And I just think it's such a unique thing. Like how many sports are there where I can actually be creative and express myself and be healthy at the same time? Yeah, that's awesome. I would just like to say thank you to the both of you because you guys provided a very safe space for me to be able to learn and express myself and also helped my dream of dancing on stage come true. You're welcome. It was a great learning experience for me as well. And, um, you know, it's, it's just something I was taught as a child is to help others. And that I thank my parents for that. And, uh, you know, always to be open. My father was always taught me to be open-minded to every opportunity. And, um, you know, I think every time you take on something, you learn something. So even though it was, it was hard for me as well, but, uh, I got to know Nika and I got to know Haley and, you know, we, uh, we ended up just loving each other. So it was just great. And I still um, think of Nika and love her very much. And also Haley, you know, we hear our paths may cross again, I hope. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, I really liked the opportunity uh, to work with Nika um, because it kept me connected to dance. I was coming off of a two-year injury. It was uh, not happy in the dance world. and. Uh, Nika gave me the opportunity to try again, start a new, um, for a while, built a career out of it. <laughs> Don't know if you'd call it a career, but <laughs> uh, definitely uh, Sue wrote my letter of reference for I Can Dance. Um, so that's that connection as well. Uh, really, yeah, it reignited my love for dance. So thank you, Nika. Thank you, Sue. So if there was a um, visually impaired person, child who's listening to this, who wants to get involved in dance, what would you say to them, Nika? I would say, please don't give up. Sometimes it can seem like the best thing to do. Sometimes you might just want to give up like I did, but I think everything happens for a reason. And, you know, at the time when I was 14, 15, I wasn't looking at it as a, oh, it was what the universe intended for me. Now I realize it was part of kind of teaching me resilience and teaching me that, you know, anything can happen. And if it was meant to happen, it would. And I would say, don't give up because there's always going to be somewhere that's the right place for you. Yeah. You might have some doors slammed in your face, but you'll find one that opens eventually. Well, um, thank you to all of you for being here. And thank you to our listeners for joining us again. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, John Marcellet. If you have a question, a comment, a request for a future topic, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. And please share our podcast with a friend and join us again next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. 
For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted, along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca. And also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time.